Chapter Twenty Nine of A King in Babylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A King in Babylon by Burton Egbert Stevenson. Chapter Twenty Nine. We were not very far from the oasis, but the journey back to it seemed a thousand miles. I was so weary and overwrought, and the moving-picture camera is no light burden. Mademoiselle Roland seemed ready to drop at every step, but she declined Creel's proffered arm and plodded doggedly on through the sand. Jimmy, at the rear of the procession, and apparently quite fresh, despite the fact that he had worked harder than any of us, drew forth his whip and amused himself by cracking it, and somehow it seemed to me that he was driving the girl on with it. I could see her start every time it cracked, as though the lash had been laid across her shoulders. Creel at last could stand it no longer, and turned angrily and shouted to him, Put that whip away. He didn't put it away, but he stopped cracking it. Once when I glanced over my shoulder, I saw that he was running it lovingly through his fingers, and his eyes were on the drooping figure of the girl ahead of him. We reached the oasis at last, and Mademoiselle Roland went straight to her tent, and presumably to bed. At least I saw no more of her. Jimmy dived into our tent to change from his pajamas, while Creel and Digby and I went on to the property tent to get rid of our burdens. Thank God that's over, said Creel, as I was sealing up the film. I wouldn't go through it again for a million dollars. Of course, that was just a manner of speaking. I knew quite well that, had he any reason to think any portion of the film a failure, he would have ordered a retake without an instant's hesitation. But I had developed a few inches from the end of every spool, and had found them all as brilliant and clear and beautifully lighted as any I had ever done. I am going to get away from here as soon as I can, Creel added. I can't stand it any longer. We'll start tomorrow if possible, Digby, so get your props together. If we get safe back to Luxor, why shouldn't we get back to Luxor, I demanded. No reason that I know of. When we get safe back to Luxor, perhaps I'll take a few scenes there, just for the background. What do you think of that whip business? he asked suddenly, in another tone. I don't like it. Where did he get that whip? He made it. I happened to see him doing it. You thought of using a whip, you remember? Yes, but he knew I had cut out those scenes. Besides, there's a whip among the props. There was a moment's silence, and then Creel turned to me, his face very grim. Did it seem to you that he was using it on the girl, he asked? Yes, it did, I said, and I couldn't have stood it much longer. At that moment Jimmy stuck his head in at the door. I'm going over to see how the professor's getting on, he said. Don't you want to come along? I sort of feel that I can promise you a thrill or two. Creel and I looked at each other. I think we both felt that we had enough thrills to last us for a long time, but we also had a burning curiosity as to what would happen next. It proved too much for us. All right, said Creel shortly, reading consent in my eyes. Come along, Billy, and we joined Jimmy outside the tent. I saw then that he still carried the whip in his hand. What in blazes are you doing with that thing? Creel demanded. I'm sick of the sight of it. It will come in handy, I fancy, said Jimmy, coolly, and cracked it like a pistol shot. The sun was dropping toward the horizon as we came out upon the sand, and again I heard rising from the native camp that weird chant to drive off evil spirits. 
They're taking no chances tonight, commented Jimmy. They're not waiting for the sun to set. I don't know, but they are wise, he added grimly. I wondered how he knew the meaning of the chant. Perhaps Davis had told him, though that seemed hardly likely. Perhaps he just knew. Creel protested that he had no patience with such superstition. But Jimmy only smiled ironically without replying and cracked his whip again And I remembered how I had seen the natives sleeping soundly the night before in full faith that the chant protected them And I couldn't for the life of me see why that sort of faith deserved to be called superstition any more than any other sort Surely the final test for any sort of faith is whether or not it works We found the excavation in deepening shadow and descended the steps in silence none of us had thought to bring a light and it was very dark inside the tomb but we could see dimly the rude wall which davis and mustafa had built to brace the roof i confess it looked none too secure to me but jimmy passed on into the corridor with scarcely a glance at it and creel and i followed and then i heard from the inner chamber the ring of iron on stone which told that davis was working at the wall it was Mustafa who was doing the pounding with Davis holding the torch He turned quickly at the sound of our footsteps and flashed the torch over us Hello, he said you're just in time. We'll have a hole through the wall in another minute And then he saw the whip in Jimmy's hand What is that for he demanded with an acerbity which surprised me to keep that devil inside from coming out said Jimmy he spoke with a loud bravado which his pale face and strangely shining eyes belied Davis gave him one long searching look then turned back to the wall Go ahead Mustafa he said and I saw that one of the stones about a foot square was loose a few more strokes of the heavy crowbar And it was ready to come out Stand back now said Davis and instinctively Creel and I shrank away against the sarcophagus only Jimmy held his ground his whip hand poised to strike all right Mustafa and while I held my breath Mustafa threw all his weight on the bar the stone trembled slid forward and fell with a crash upon the floor of the tomb I Don't know what it was I feared Perhaps some awful specter issuing from that hole as greeted the fisherman in the Arabian Nights when he broke the seal on the bottle he had drawn from the sea but I do know that a prickle of terror ran up my spine and off across my scalp as I stared at that square of blackness as we all stared for a long minute and nothing happened nothing aren't you coming Tina called Jimmy an ugly snarl in his voice I'm here I'm waiting and just then there was a sort of flicker in that black square and like a flash Jimmy sent his lash cracking toward it aha he cried you didn't know I had the whip Come out, Tina. I haven't forgotten how to use it. Come out. The words conjured before my eyes again that vision of white shoulders streaked with blood, of a merciless hand rising and falling. Oh, shut up, snarled Davis, and I guess that he had seen the vision too. I've had enough of that nonsense. Didn't you see her? Jimmy demanded. She was coming out. No, I didn't see her, Davis retorted. And with a sublime courage which I shall never cease to admire he dragged the fallen stone aside Dropped to his knees torch in hand and peered into the darkness of the inner tomb I heard his deep gasp of astonishment by George. It's there he muttered hoarsely 
of course she's there mocked jimmy haven't i told you from the first didn't you hear her beating to get out last night didn't you see her a moment ago he cracked his whip again and leered around at us and i swear if any man was ever mad jimmy allen was mad at that moment stark staring mad i felt as though i were going mad myself rubbish said davis harshly still peering through the hole she's as dead as doornails no she isn't jimmy cried she's fooling you she's just waiting and again he cracked his whip but davis paid no further heed to him he remained at the hole for some time and then he rose slowly to his feet and handed me the torch take a look he said it's a mummy right enough i heard him saying over my shoulder as i knelt before the hole or rather a body shriveled up i haven't a doubt it was walled up alive and left to die it's a great find there are only three others like it and then his voice faded from my ears for there on the floor of the inner tomb i saw it it was lying on its side with its face towards me its knees doubled up its hands clasped as though in prayer for all the world just such a ghastly figure as we had brought with us from new york and dead as doornails there could be no doubt of that and then quite suddenly i realized that it was watching me that its eyes were open i could see the light from my torch reflected in them and the features seemed to fill out the blackened lips parted in a smile a fiendish smile i stared fascinated horror-stricken till i could endure that gaze no longer davis caught the torch from my hand as i fell back with a hoarse cry what's the matter man he asked the eyes i gasped she was looking at me davis caught me savagely by the arm get up he said harshly don't be a fool get up i staggered to my feet but the eyes i gasped i saw them you saw nothing of the sort there are two ornaments or jewels on the forehead which reflect the light that's what you saw but i knew better it was no ornament that i had seen it was a pair of living eyes glittering with malice and the evil smile upon the lips and the face black and distorted which yet somehow seemed familiar and i staggered against the pillar and caught myself from falling as i realized why it seemed familiar and then i saw that creel was looking in would he recognize her too would he i don't know what you fellows are talking about he said impatiently i can see the mummy right enough it looks exactly like my paper mache fake but its back is towards us let me see broke in davis and pulled him away and snatched the torch and dropped to his knees i pressed my palms against my burning eyeballs would i never get that horrid vision out of them that cruel face the face of the siren who had lured jimmy allen out across the sands davis rose to his feet a line of perplexity between his brows it's strange he said but the body undoubtedly has turned over perhaps the draft of air through the opening caused it to relax the change of temperature the mummy of Ramses too raised its arm you know and he stood staring at the hole scrabbling his beard with nervous fingers let me look said jimmy and took the torch from davis's hand and fell to his knees the next instant he had started back with a sharp cry of pain you would would you he cried and sprang to his feet and brought down his whip against the lower edge of the opening and i saw with a spasm of terror that there was a streak of blood across his cheek she nearly got me he said with a wry smile wiping the blood away i might have guessed she'd try 
Clawing out eyes is one of her favorite diversions, as Digby can tell you. And I went faint again at the implication of the words. There's a spur on that next stone, rapped Davis. You scratched your cheek on that. But he was evidently shaken, and I couldn't see any spur. Did I? sneered Jimmy. Well, have it so. But I would advise you to put that stone back into place for the night, and to wedge it in well. And with that he turned and walked out of the tomb. There was a moment's silence, and then Davis handed the torch to Creel. Get hold of the stone, Mustafa, he said hoarsely, and they lifted it between them and tried to thrust it back into the hole. Halfway it stuck. Let go, said Davis. I can push it in. And he knelt before the hole and pushed with all his strength. I saw the sweat break out across his neck with the effort, and slowly, slowly, as though some weaker arm on the other side found itself overpowered, the stone slid into place. There, said Davis, that's safe, I think. And he rose and mopped his shining face. Don't think, he added violently, that I did that because of Alan's insane suggestion. I was going to do it anyway to protect the body. It will probably fall to pieces at a breath. Then, at something he saw in our faces, he stopped suddenly, and with a gesture of rage and impatience, led the way from the tomb. End of chapter 29